So I was, um, I was given the chance and the opportunity to discuss decarbonization in the next five minutes, so bear with me. It's going to be, it's not going to be, can you hear me? Better? Testing. Good, 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 good. So I was given the, the opportunity to discuss decarbonization in the next five minutes. Although it's an immense challenge, uh, like the challenge we have ahead of us with decarbonization, I'll try to be uh, comprehensive and quick. Um, first of all, I'd like to start by saying what an incredible opportunity this is to be uh, amongst you in 3D. Uh, in this lovely event, again, um, hats off to the organizers, a very, very lovely capital uh, link event. Always a pleasure being here. So, decarbonization challenge. We kind of started this story with um, some sort of an apprehensive attitude because we, um, as an industry, um, we, we were introduced to this challenge a couple of years ago, even, even longer than that. And we started by trying to map out what is that challenge. And uh, what we have seen is that uh, two or three years ago, uh, based on the scenarios that we were looking and uh, the base case scenarios, as they were calling them, um, and the uh, announced policies that were supposed to be implemented two or three years ago, we have seen even even uh, back then, two years ago, that the 2050 goal of 50% reduction in greenhouse gases will be immensely challenging if the whole value chain in which shipping is active does, uh, does not contribute. So we, we need a value chain game in order to address that decarbonization aspect. And what you see even with the latest forecast that we have seen is the fact that if, if the ambition changes to net zero, that would even be also challenging. And we also started mapping what the impact of these shorter measures will be. The ones that are going to be starting and kicking off in the next year where almost 90% of the global fleet will have to explore some sort of an improvement option in order to comply with the requirements. Let alone what we will have to face uh, with the uh, upcoming operational carbon intensity requirements like the CII where the ships, the global shipping, global fleet, will, have, will find itself uh, in uh, a non-favorable, most of the global fleet, around 40%, in a non-favorable rating when this regulation starts. So we started this journey with an apprehensive attitude. We have also seen all sorts of complexity emerging with uh, uh, multi-stakeholder reporting requirements and decarbonization trajectories being posed by different areas in this stakeholder uh, landscape. We briefly said a few words about the IMO, but you also have on the chartering side uh, decarbonization initiatives. You have port authorities that are looking at environmental performance. You have regional regulations that are emerging and are creating their own type of requirements. And those regional regulations and all this landscape gives birth to what we call the emerging value chains, hydrogen and carbon. What you will see also in the, in the literature is the fact that the hydrogen value chain and the carbon value chain are considered as the uh, building blocks, the cornerstones of the energy transition, mainly because they will provide what, and I'm choosing my words very wisely here, 
the tokens of the energy transition. So that hydrogen atom, that hydrogen molecule that will actually provide the um, uh, solutions for alternative fuels and the carbon value chain that will actually accelerate, uh, based on the studies, um, the energy transition. So how do we make sense of all that? Um, in, and in the next seconds, it's, it's hard to uh, wrap the decarbonization strategy initiative in a, uh, in a few words, but it all starts with steps. First of all, benchmarking, developing uh, an emissions and carbon profile of vessels and fleets that we operate. And therefore, by doing that, yet taking the next, uh, next step, considering options, either in adopting uh, energy efficiency technologies or, or at some point setting the milestones for uh, the uh, phase out of ships and the adoption of uh, alternative fuels. It all starts with that benchmarking that I mentioned earlier, which considers the combined decarbonization trajectory. What do we mean by that? We mean the combined requirement, combined uh, taking in, taking into consideration all the requirements that a vessel and a fleet will have actually to incorporate in its strategy, in its performance, in order to align itself with the decarbonization agenda. And you have to benchmark against that, and then based on that, looking at the time domain, develop your um, technological and operational decisions and options. While you implement your strategy, a very crucial thing is to have a robust monitoring tool, a robust monitoring tool, a digital platform that gets all the necessary data to you, it provides decision support, and it directs towards the corrective actions that need to take place in order to keep the alignment with that combined trajectories that we just mentioned. And we have seen that there are also different schemes that create the opportunity of monetizing this type of, uh, of uh, uh, adherence to the alignment or even performing better. The other thing that emerged over the last year and a half was a discussion about how we use frameworks in order to build, therefore, our corporate strategy around decarbonization. But why, why do we actually need that? Mainly because decarbonization is such a complex, um, complex topic that it will cut across, if not all of the activities and the functions that we have in a company, most of them certainly. So, it, by making a choice on a technical or an operational uh, change on the, uh, on the decarbonization side, of course, it will actually affect the environmental aspect, but it will also affect the social, what type of skills we need to bring on board, how do we diversify so that we can actually tackle the challenge of decarbonization? Do we have to invest in more digital talent in order to use this type of uh, digital platforms that I just mentioned? And how do we train our people in the new technologies, say that you are implementing a new type of alternative fuel? How do we prepare our companies in order to uh, also manage the change that will come? And of course, that will also affect how you implement governance, what type of systems you have on board, in, uh, on board the company, I mean, in order to um, address systemic and non-systemic risks, for example. So this is more or less planned out on a framework 
that uses these three words, ESG, and what we have actually left outside, uh, which is last but not least, of course, is that economic thing. You cannot have a sustainable solution, you cannot have a sustainable business plan if it takes you out of business. And therefore, this type of frameworks help in identify how you incorporate all those complex KPIs in a corporate strategy that allows for proper planning and shows annual improvement. And I did spend a bit more time on explaining the decarbonization strategy, but I think it's worth it and I could actually stay here and uh, explore this even further. But I'd like to also raise the fact that now we are turning the page from having an apprehensive stance against decarbonization in exploring what type of opportunities might emerge. We do identify that there are transition risks, energy transition risks that have to be uh, identified and incorporate in business planning. But we also have to investigate how this emergence of the value chains could actually present opportunities for shipping. Shipping in the value chains that I just described will be an enabler. What type of new opportunities will emerge with the scaling up of these uh, value chains? Shipping is going to be um, the key for addressing all those aspects. I did go a bit beyond my time, but I hope that I have given you some um, uh, uh, food for thought for the next session. And I'm uh, always available for questions and a very, very insightful discussion here at Capitalink. Thank you very much.